I want to welcome Mayim to the In My Feels podcast. I'm super excited about this episode. Um, as many people know, Mayim was on one of the amazing TV shows, Blossom, which I was a, 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 a huge fan of, even uh, in being <laughs> British, <laughs> and played, a, a, obviously, uh, an amazing uh, neuroscientist, which I just recently learned, um, was in The Big Bang Theory, um, a recent show called um, Call Me Cat. Um, and you have a, an amazing new mental health podcast called the, the Balik Breakdown, which I think is amazing. Mayim Bialik's Breakdown, yes. yes. It's a tongue twister. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, how we usually start the show is thoughts, feelings, emotions, negativity, positivity, uh, beliefs, conditioning, everything on the inside creates your outside exterior. So my question to you is, how are you feeling right now in this moment? Um, well, I'm feeling a little, um, well, trying to get settled because I forgot my microphone. <laughs> so I had to run and get it. Um, I don't like to be late. And so I was a couple minutes late and that's like a thing for me. I don't like to be late. Um, it's Passover. It's the Jewish holiday of Passover. So I'm like constantly hungry <laughs> because we can't eat most things. Yeah. Um, but I did eat, my cats went to the vet this morning. They're fine. I thought they were both fat. He said they're not. So <laughs> Um, yeah. And, you know, spring is here and everything's in bloom, which is awesome and wonderful. And also I have allergies. So, you know, no good deed. There goes we go. In the universe. Which, which part of the, um, the U.S. are you in? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. California. Oh, same. Yeah. yeah. Southern California. Yeah. yeah. I actually just took my daughter to the park and it's super hot this morning. Yes. It's very like we kind of skip spring and go straight to summer here. It's yeah, nice. I know. It's funny because I remember last summer being super brutal and being like, oh, I have to because in the UK, the summers are quite can be hot, but quite right. nice. Whereas LA summers are pretty brutal. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, it's a dry heat, as we say. It's yeah. not a moist heat like it is veggies. Yes, exactly. Um, I want to kind of dive straight into kind of... Um, like, because on this show, we talk a ton about manifesting. So manifesting is everything. Everything in your life is you, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything is 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 in your power. I want to go back to like Blossom and how you was feeling at the time of auditioning. Uh, what was your process? What was the process? And did you have any, expe any expectations, beliefs that the show was going to be as big as it was? I, 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 I try and dissect you as a person right. entering into these situations. Um, well, I was actually, I was in a movie called Beaches when I was, yep. it came out when I was 13 and I actually got Blossom because of that. So, um, I did have to test for network. That's what it's called when you kind of go and meet all the network people and technically they could not cast you. Um, but the script was geared around me, which is a very unusual situation and definitely felt unusual at the time. Um, you know, I had just started acting a couple of years before that. I wasn't like a typical child actor who was doing it from the time I was a toddler. Like this was all still really new to me. I wasn't, you know, kind of raised like a Hollywood kid um, at all, really. So um, it was, you know, a real kind of like paradigm shift in my life, you know, to go from just being like a normal kid who was like, I like acting in school plays. Maybe I should, you know, like see what this is like. So like you have your own television show, you know, not three years later. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I'm a person who tends to try and not have expectations. I mean, of course, it's impossible to not have <laughs> any. But, you know, as a 14 year old, which is when Blossom started, like I had no idea what was going to happen. And we actually struggled in the ratings for the first couple of years. Uh, we actually were never a top 20 show. We were not a super we were a very well remembered show. 
Um, but in terms of like ratings and and kind of critical acclaim, we had none. We were never nominated for any awards. Like we were just this family sitcom that lasted five years and was very beloved. Uh, but we definitely didn't have, you know, there wasn't an expectation of anything because like we had no idea. And a show about a girl at the time was considered very risky. Um, and I guess in some ways still is, but we were the only show at that time on network television based around a girl. And it was considered like, what, why would anybody want to watch a girl? Unless you're a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we watched it. I, you know, I have five brothers. My mom was a single parent. So well. TV was definitely a forefront in our house. <laughs> so we, we watched a ton of things. Um, how do you go from say, uh, uh, you know, studying neuroscience to then kind of the acting or was it the acting first and then the neuroscience or was it the, the other way around? Well, so let's see, Blossom ended when I was 19. I was two years out of high school and I, I then went to college and I stayed, you know, in college and went straight to grad school. So I effectively left the industry for 12 years and uh, I had my first son in grad school. He's now almost 16. And then I had my second son right after I got my degree. So I was really out of the industry. I taught neuroscience. I designed a curriculum for, for junior high and high school kids in the homeschool community in neuroscience. And I taught. And um, it wasn't until, you know, my younger one was, gosh, I mean, he was about a year. And my older son was then not even four that I went back to auditioning. Um, and I had never seen the big bang theory. Like I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a game show. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, I auditioned for that and, you know, came back for another audition and there you were. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it, it, it made sense. You played a neuroscientist on the show being, well, they actual... made, that was actually after, after I joined the cast, Okay. they, uh, they figured, oh, we might as well make her. That's what Bill Prady said. He was our creator, executive producer. He said, we figured we'll just like make make her what Maya is so she can fix things if they're wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I mean, I, I want to dive a little into kind of, would you describe yourself as a feminist? Sure. Um, because, you know, I have a 16 month old daughter and, uh -huh. you know, I guess the show that, that we do is, is kind of practical spiritual. So, you know, putting the power, because I used to be someone whose head used to be too hev heavy for his body, weighed down mm -hmm. by so much mental health. But, you know, back then you, it wasn't really a word. There wasn't really, it was kind of a, everyone had it. So you deal with it. There was right. never really an outlet. Um, and I'm trying to kind of, every guest I have on is trying to recondition the mind of the stereotype of what a woman should be. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you know, there's all these pre uh, conditions or notions of, you know, girls should like pink or they should play with dolls or all these type right. of things that we kind of, and I'm like, who actually created that? It certainly wasn't created by the, the women themselves. It was, right. it was, and usually every specific genre, whether it's, you know, gay, straight, this is, it was always created by someone else as a stereotype. It's never by that, that person themselves. And I kind of want to, especially with shows like this, is bring awareness to the fact that, you know, when we label each other, man, woman, you come with those conditions of who sure. you think those are. And I'm trying to unravel those conditionings. And I'd love to dive a little bit on that, you know, the, the feminist, because I think you explore that beautifully with what you do and, you know, who you represent and who you are. Sure. Well, and I think the reason I hesitated when you said, you know, are you a feminist? You never know why, why people are asking. And obviously you're a very intelligent person who, you know, is not asking to start a fight. Uh, but <laughs> no. I, I think I think a lot of people don't know kind of the basic definition of feminism. And so. Um, you know, the the kind of academic definition of feminism, which, you know, I was taught in my studies at UCLA when I took classes where, you know, anthropologists and sociologists talk about these things, um, is the belief that 
um, yes, that that women should be treated equally. That's absolutely true. But also that women have a, a unique positioning in our culture and in our society to affect other people and to break the bonds of race, class, and gender. That's actually what feminism is. It is not just about who you have sex with, who you don't have sex with, or what anatomy you have, or you know uh, what clothes you like to wear. That's a, a component of the expression of one's self. But the true, you know, kind of larger umbrella of feminism is about empowering people of color. It's about helping men and women who are not being spoken for. Uh, That's the larger kind of movement of feminism. And there are different waves of feminism. There's first wave feminism, which was kind of the original suffragettes. Second wave feminism is kind of like the Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, National Organization of Women. Um, And then third wave and fourth wave is sort of what we're dealing with now, which is um, you know, a distinct movement of women who are expressing specifically their sexuality and their sexual identity as an integral part of their feminism, obviously leveraging also so- social media, which is more kind of the fourth wave. So feminism is a big umbrella, mm-hmm. uh, but but ultimately, um, I also identify, you know, especially as a neuroscientist with the notion that, you know, gender is it is it's a construct. And it, in many cases, it's a useful construct. Uh, but the notion of you know, who feels male or female is is not as simple as, forgive me, the conservative right would like us to believe. Mm-hmm. And while it is, as far as we know, still true that you need an egg and sperm to make a human baby or or some, you know, variation of that. And that's just genetics and that's science. Um, you know, I, I'm raising my kids in a world where men can get pregnant because if someone identifies as male, and is able to carry a child, we don't say that's a woman mm-hmm. who thinks they're a man. We like we don't say that. And you know, a lot of people are kind of like, "Oh, I'm not ready for that terminology." People weren't ready for a lot of terminology that we've all gotten used to. So everybody's going to be okay. It's not like if you approve. It's not like it's not like your approval if you acknowledge that someone has a human right to be themselves. And I think that's a thing also that like we've lost all nuance in our society. It's like. You have to do everything that I want you to do. And if you don't, I hate you and will threaten you. Yeah. As opposed to we may have different beliefs about how to live, what to call it, who to have sex with. It's really not your business who I have sex with or what (laughs) pronoun I'd like to use. If you don't like using the pronoun they, see how it goes to not use the pronoun they and hang out with people who respect that. But where I live in Los Angeles and the community that I rotate in, We've had to all get used to using the pronoun they, and it's really not that hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, you can tell from the room I'm in, which, you know, whose room this is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, for me as well, I think religion plays a big part in, you know, I wouldn't say the condemnation of women, but I would say that I think um, men realize very early on, early man, that women are way more powerful than men spiritually because they give birth to consciousness, to life. <laughs> Um, and for me, you can't really trust any religion that doesn't have any female prophets. Absolutely. And, you know, the structure of religion is part of the patriarchy. We are all living in the patriarchy. People like people get so nervous when I say that, but it's like, it's okay. I'm not saying down with men. I'm saying that men and women and everything in between, we are all living under a structure that presumes that might makes right. And, and in many cases in the evolution of humanity, it was necessary to to be strong to fight to, but we've always always needed obviously 
women. And the fact is, especially, you know, Judeo-Christian religion tends to be highly, highly patriarchal and also consistent with what a lot of culture looked like at the time. So whenever, you know, I'm a, a Jewish person and whenever people are like, well, it's so sexist, I say, I totally get that <laughs> label, but all of culture was sexist. Mm -hmm. All religion was operating pretty much, at least Judeo-Christianity in, in particular, was operating under this notion that like women stay home and they have babies. And because they're busy having babies and we didn't really have birth control that was as effective as it is now, they couldn't really do a lot of things out of the house unless they chose not to have children or they were very unconventional women, which a lot of women in Judaism and in our uh, liturgical history and our prophetesses, they were unusual women indeed, mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, you're bucking an entire system. And, and to me, that doesn't mean you throw out religion. It means that you look to see where there's flexibility. You know, I mean, my religious tradition has made a lot of progress. We're doing our best and <laughs> that, that need help. Um, but the fact that even in very religious Orthodox communities, there are now women who are clergy members who you can go to for advice, for support. We are including, and we need to, all really religion, we need to include more female voices. And, you know, I'm very grateful that I grew up in a, you know, in a religious tradition that had a feminine presence of God that we talked about. It was something we all talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I watched a, um, a recent show on Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. Wow, he is a he is a <laughs> like I, I was shocked. I mean, to be honest, to be that great, you have to. I, I don't know if you have to be. I think the notion of conditioning to be that great, you have to act a certain way, or you know, he had. He, he was an odd one. He was an odd one, but even though you know, even with his women and everything else, and I was like, wow, what a mind, but what an absolute pig. <laughs> um, at the same time, and I was, it was so many emotions watching that. I was like, one minute I was upset, minutes I felt, but he kind of realized it later on in his life, how he had treated people and everything else. But it's back to your notion of, you know, his first wife was, was superiorly intelligent. Um, and she was helping him and helping him. And then obviously he kind of had some kids and then kind of left her to kind of continue his mindset. Um, I had, I, have you ever heard of Dr. Evan Alexander? I don't think so. He's a, um, a neurosurgeon. And he, um, I guess he had a near-death experience as an- Yes, I know exactly who you're talking yes. about. He's amazing. He's amazing. So he has the, <laughs> the book Proof of Heaven, which he, he came on the yes, show, actually. Yes, I'm super into him, yes. He blew my mind. And the reason why I'm bringing him up, because he's obviously neuroscience, neurosurgeon, uh, similar, but completely yeah. different as well. Um, and he, again, this leads me to my next point of, he obviously had meningitis of the spine. His brain started deteriorating. Right. He-, he died, I guess, for a few days or, or, right. or however time and, and experienced this whole otherworldly thing. Um, and and I, I'd love to know a little bit thoughts on, on kind of your kind of thoughts on life after life right. or kind of touch up on that spiritual aspect of you. Yeah, my uh, actually my my older son, um, who's 15, we recently watched um, there was I think it's a Netflix series all on these kinds of things. So, um, surviving death. Yeah, we saw him yep. watch Surviving Death. Yep. And um, we had a lot of really interesting conversations about it. And, you know, he's very skeptical because he's 15 and he should be, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm very kind of like, I'm very, I mean, I'm a, I'm a religious person. I'm also a spiritual person because they can be different things. You know, for me, the, um, the wonders of the human brain and the human experience are, you know, a huge component of my life as a scientist and they also don't need to explain everything that I feel spiritually and everything that, that I believe. And, 
you know, my son said to me, so you just have blind faith. You just have blind faith. I said, <laughs> I, I don't consider it blind faith. I said, you know, I've experienced things that defy the laws of nature in terms of the emotional processing of it. Um, and I said that, you know, there, there doesn't need to be a notion for me that I know the sun will come up tomorrow. I just know that it will. And if it doesn't, we all have a lot bigger problem than did mama believe in God and Miles didn't. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. So, so to me, you know, we all have the same capacity for faith and for belief. We call it different things. It serves different purposes for us. But what I said to him is that that feeling, I said, the feeling when you were born, there, there is no equation. There's no explanation for me, that was a divine experience. And other people might say that was an awesome experience. For me, I choose to give reverence to the universe that that moment happened. And there are other moments like that in my life. Yeah. And to me, every day has the opportunity to be miraculous. So that's sort of my my general framework. And, you know, it's it's hard because as a as a Jewish person and a traditional person, we spend a lot of time and energy focusing on what happens in this world, like a lot, like what we eat, how we dress, what we say, where we go. Like we're very, very geared towards that focus on this worldliness. So it's not like I don't think about what happens next, but most of my kind of spiritual energy for me focuses on what happens here, Absolutely, what it feels like here. And and, you know, in terms of the evolution of, of religion and Christianity, that was a huge, a huge component of what appealed to so many people about Christianity, you know, like when it started, which was there's a possibility for redemption. There is life after death. There is an existence and a consciousness. So it became, you know, kind of like a, a dividing factor. But for me personally, I believe that people can experience things that I can't explain. Yep. Yep. And I also believe that instead of spending all of our time disputing if that's even possible, how about we spend our time finding the information that we can gather from it and seeing why it makes some of us so darn upset. And usually it's fear. It's fear of death. It's fear of unresolved issues. It's fear of leaving. So to me, it's like a much bigger question. I don't know what it is for my 15 year old, but I still have a couple of years. To figure <laughs> yeah. it's, you know what? It, it's funny because the, the, I mean, I, I'm constantly reading about, you know, everything. Um, and the more knowledge I gain, the less I know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know I, I and, and that used to scare me when I was younger, when I, but now I'm like, this is great. I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> And it's, and I'm like, I'm in a new plateau. I mean, even this morning, I mean, kind of moving on to the kind of mental health stuff. Um, every morning I wake up, I say, thank you for waking up. Mm-hmm. And then I hear my little, my, my daughter cry at 6am. I'm like, thank you for waking up too. This is great. <laughs> and I skip into her. She's screaming like, you know, mommy. I'm like, okay, this is great. Um, you know, I take it to the park and then I write down throughout the day, everything I'm thankful for. Like I said, I'm thankful for you jumping on the podcast. I'm thankful mm-hmm. for people actually listening. I don't know who, you know, this is great. And I mean, and I can microscopically break down everything that's good in my life. For example, I have water in front of me. I'm thankful for that. You know, some people don't have water. And when you start microscopically building up the appreciation for things, I think that for me is is my key to happiness and has helped me overcome my anxieties and depressions and not getting out of bed and, you know, headaches all the time and all that type of stuff. I'm in a completely different plateau because every day I work on my mental state. Well, and that's that's really well said and also very inspiring um, because, you know, I think 
I think for a lot of people, especially people who, you know, don't want to have a spiritual identity or don't want to think about, you know, themselves beyond like, well, what do I have to do? And who can I be mad at today? And, you know, I think, you know, there are many ways to attain a mindful, thankful, open perspective. However, it typically does take work. And I think a lot of people don't want to do that work. And it sounds like you've taken a lot of time to do some amazing work. Um, and it, it does take an effort. It doesn't just land in your lap. You know, it doesn't just land in your lap. You have to put the work in. And it also means doing it when you don't feel like doing it. You know, they say when you don't want to meditate is actually when you should be meditating, yep. right? When you don't want to, if you're a 12 step person, when you don't want to go to a meeting, that's when you go to a meeting. Yep. And it's that notion of like contrary action of like, oh, I actually have to show up, do the legwork and then see, you know, <laughs> what did I hear the other day? God can't steer a parked car. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's so wise. Unless it's Tesla. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um... I mean, I'm reading this book too called Atomic Habits. Um, I don't know if you've read it. So it's, it's kind of like, you're right in terms of, you know, I've started run. I haven't done really any exercise since, since lockdown, um, which I've actually enjoyed. It's not like I'm feeling unhealthy or anything. I feel the best I've ever felt. Uh, you look great. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I've started running um, for the last like three weeks every day. And it's, and it's about, cause once you hit a certain plateau, it's like 60, 70 days of doing the same thing. It becomes an a, a automatic right. habit and we're conditioned to feel, feel negative. So it's, it's a habit for us to feel negative. So when something positive comes in, we wipe it off because it's, it, it doesn't make sense to us. It's a natural instinct to feel negative. Um, and that's why I'm trying to, you know, bring to the, the forefront of it is work. I mean, literally it is me waking up every day and, and it was actually Tony Robbins who, who got me out of depression by, mm -hmm. he was saying for two minutes a day, five minutes a day, look in the mirror and just smile. And I started doing, it. I said, this oh, is, this is yeah. the dumbest shit I have ever done in my life. And that was the point. Cause I started laughing to myself. I was like, why am I taking myself so seriously? You know, look at what's around you. I'm, I'm, you know, a boy who was in Section 8 home, housing in the UK. Mum was a single parent with five kids. I'm living Los Angeles on Beverly Boulevard by the Grove. The Grove looks like Christmas every day. I'm like, what am I doing? And then I started turning the needle and every day, maybe one or two positive thoughts, then three positive thoughts. And then I would focus on those. And then the meditation aspect, which I, you spoke about previously on, on your show, is, you know, another example. I have um, an artist who's a brand new artist. So I said, let's, let's try and manifest you know, streams and playlists and everything else, but let's first get your mind right before we do that. Mm. So we do breathing exercises over FaceTime um, for 15 minutes. And then I tell him, say, thankful for everything you, that you're thankful for today. It could be anything. Like he said, he met, you know, a, a friend of his in a gym that he hasn't spoken to him in ages. And I was like, thankful for that. That's a great encounter. Um, and then I say, well, let's visualize us going onto your Spotify page and seeing mm. the playlists you want and the numbers you want. And every day it's been growing. It's been growing. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And it puts you in such a mindset. I mean, I, I guess, have you touched up on meditation? To kind of yeah, I, um, you know, meditation is kind of one of those things that I was hovering around and everybody kept telling me to do it. And that apparently was not enough to get me to do it. Um, <laughs> it you know, it, it never is very hard for me to sit still, you know, all the things. Um, and, you know, my life got to a point in particular, my patience with my kids got to a point where I was like, something new needs to happen because I don't feel good, you know? And, 
you know, every time I would lose my patience with my kids, it was a hundred percent because I ran out of patience, not because they were bad humans or, you know, evil seeds like mm-hmm. that's It was always that I just didn't have enough to keep going. So I turned to a friend of mine, Carla Naumberg's her name, and she's also an author. She's written some really beautiful books about parenting and mindfulness. And I said, I need help. I said, I'm, I, I know you meditate and I know it changed your life. What do I do? And then, you know, what I did was something that a lot of people don't like to do. I did what I was told. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like, how many times do you need a message from the universe? Well, I needed it a bunch. Um, but I finally, you know, Carla said, here's Sharon Salzberg's website. And this was before podcasts. This I was, love Sharon. You know, but yeah, but that's how I started. Mm-hmm. I ordered her book and um, I started learning about the lack of judgment. And I realized that was the impediment for me because I'm, I'm the meanest person to myself. If you could hear what I sound like to myself in my head, you'd be like, Maya, you're in an abusive relationship with yourself. Yeah. Like that's, so the things that I was telling myself about my ability, my capacity, just even to sit still, like, why can't you sit still? Like that was enough to get me off my little, you know, cushion. Um, so I actually started release, literally release it. There's no, there's no magic to it. You don't like turn around three times and spit and like jump up and down and it goes away. You have to sit in discomfort and you have to tell yourself, like you said, you say the positive things in your head. You can do this. It's not a contest, just breathe. So I learned some basic breathing techniques and, um, I use guided meditations. You know, I'm not, I know that some people love just silence and that's very hard for me. That doesn't mean that I can't meditate though. And I used to think that it did. Um, so I do guided meditations. Usually I'll do body scans. Um, and what I've done is I've trained myself to be able to drop into that place very quickly. And that is not because I'm a magic person. It's not because I have a PhD. It's not because I had two kids with no drugs. I'm not a superwoman. (laughs) I'm just, I'm, I'm a regular human who, as you said, with repetition and practice can be trained. And I trained myself to stop. Yeah, And that means I put down my phone, even if it's 10 minutes, even I had 10 minutes between a podcast and an interview. And I was so feeling really depleted, like running on fumes. That's how it's been just like you're running on fumes. And I just closed my eyes and I focused on my breathing. And for 10 minutes, it's not even important. Did I sleep? Did I not sleep? For 10 minutes, I was a human being, not a human doing. And that's what you learn when you listen to masters of meditation and masters of mindfulness. It's been a tremendous gift for me. I used to have heartburn. I started getting heartburn, you know, in my 40s because uh, I just thought God wants me to die. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to like keep giving you all these ailments and see how long you can survive. Um, meditation made it go away. Like, yep. I didn't, I don't take medication. Yep. I, I take, <laughs> I take meditation. There we go. There we go. Just put on a t-shirt. I love that. <laughs> um, it's Because, it, it, you know, anyone who's listening to, I mean, Meditation is is one focus. I know people are like, well, you're supposed to not focus on anything, but you not focusing on something is actually focusing on something. Correct. Um, so like even for if I, I've cut out any kind of distractions, I'm kind of like my own social experiment. experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was a hermit before this, which I probably I wasn't because I worked uh, work in music, I am certainly a hermit now and I <laughs> love it. I love not being around, you know, Same. <laughs> people. I love like, I love no distractions. I don't watch the news. I don't watch TV. 
um, I don't watch any of that because, you know, when you're watching something that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, that's mm -hmm. meditation. Meditation is focusing on one thing. So when you're reading the news and all the shit that's going on in the world, yeah. that's you allowing yourself to be consumed by what's happening instead of having Correct. the kind of compassion rather than the empathy for it. For it. Empathy is, is you're in it. Compassion is you feel for them and you want to give them a solution. Well, and, and I think that's also, that's a, a beautiful point because I actually am currently on a break from um, active social media or even passive social media and the news. And um, it's exactly what you described. And um, I'm what they call an HSP, a highly sensitive person. <laughs> it is a distinction. I've not, I've not heard that before. Oh, Google it after. It's very interesting. Okay. Um, I don't know if it speaks to you, but HSP, highly sensitive people, um, and uh, to me, I'm not so hung up on the the term and the label, but when I read what this distinction is, it felt like I finally was being understood. And so for people who, for people who feel very, 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 very deeply, us processing news is different. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying I'm more in touch. If anything, I consider it an impediment. You know, there's many times when being as sensitive as I am is a blessing, um, but it's important to me to know what's going on in the world, but it's, it's hurting my health and it's hurting my ability to manage my anxiety. And it's not even like it's directly linked when I cut news and social media out, like all of a sudden I stop biting my nails and like, that's not, you know, that's not a coincidence. That's that the level of anxiety had, had been lowered simply by not taking that in. And that's, you know, as a neuroscientist, like that's what's beautiful about our brains. They're all different. They're all very, 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 very similar, but we're different people. So what some people can process, other people can't, you know, and people who run social media accounts, they do have a different capacity. They also get burnt out, but it's different for them. And when I see someone say something mean about Jews, about blacks, about gay people, about trans people, it does something different to me than it does to another outraged person. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy for anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the same for me. I mean, I used to get consumed by what was happening out, out there, but now I realize how I can help out there is by helping everybody around me to educate them enough to not be that. Well, and also for me, like I, I help people by being a better version of me. Yes. And when I'm super consumed and anxious and just all over the place and angry and have a short temper, no one's happy. Like I promise no one wants to be around me like that. I yeah. don't want to be around me like that. So for me, it's kind of like, oh, if I do all these things, I'm easier to be around. If I avoid these things, I get more done. I feel more purposeful. I mean, I don't, I'm not like a real, like, well, I want to be happy. Cause I think happiness is a very elusive and loaded term, but I want serenity. You know, I yep. want to have serenity. I want to be able to lay down at night and go to sleep, not afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. And to be honest, for many of us, the last presidency was very anxiety provoking because I did wake up many, many mornings for years, wondering what I was going to see when I turned on the news, mm -hmm. like that that's not happening anymore. And I'm relieved. Yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't, uh, to me, that was a whole blur. I didn't watch any of it. I didn't know what was going right. on. I, you know, I just learned the other day that people are going to the cinemas again. I was like, Oh, that's good. Uh, was... Yeah. People are apparently renting them out also. And you can like rent out a cinema and watch them. Okay. That That's the, I, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> Maybe I'll take my daughter to her first movie ever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I, I mean, 
I guess back to the kind of, you know, the kind of mindfulness, the meditation, the the kind of spirituality of it. Um, I want to touch a little bit on dreams. Um, a perfect example is when I left my last position last March, I guess, as, as you know, stuff started happening, you know, I started working from home. I was in that position for a very long time. It was something who I obviously thought was me, even though it wasn't. I'm, I'm separate from that. Um, and I remember I had this reoccurring dream. I, I guess I was holding on to something. Um, you know, you go from working 40 people a day, you know, songwriters and producers and artists and hit songs and this and that. And then it just stopped. So I lost myself a little, which was good. Actually, it, it, it helped me ask the right questions and receive the right answers. And I don't like open doors in, in any of my houses. I don't know. Maybe it's a respect thing. Um, and in my dream, I went, I, I was walking in, in the, I guess the laundry room and the door was open and I let my arm in and someone grabbed it and it was just an arm. It was no one there. Or, and, it, and I couldn't scream. I couldn't pull back. And I woke up like, oh, let go. Mm-hmm. And the minute I did that, the universe was like, situation started coming in that I wasn't even thinking about because I let go of that that thing. Is there a kind of a defining moment or dream you've had or any of that in in kind of your life that you can kind of touch up on? Um, I mean, I'm I'm big on dreams, mm-hmm. um, and I also the I'm in therapy in case, in case no one guessed that. And my therapist is very open to, you know, hearing about dreams and trying to find out sort of what significance they hold for me, which really I think is the main power of dreams is what significant they, what significance they hold for you. And that also varies culturally, you know, um, there are different dreams, you know, that, that Western countries have because we tend to be governed by appearance and capitalism and cars and, and shiny teeth and, you know, things like that. And in other cult, those aren't universal symbols. Those are culturally specific symbols of success or ego or whatever. Uh, but I, I'm very, very interested in dreams. I have a lot of water dreams, uh, which I'm told is consciousness. Well, like, uh, like, like swimming or just um, not necessarily swimming, being in the water, but okay. not like I'm so like drowning yeah, a lot of, yeah, well, potentially going under, okay. which is, again, you know, for me, kind of like a consciousness concept. Um, and I'm a person who tends to dissociate sometimes, meaning like feel like I'm not in my body and not really be in my body and things like that. So that's for me, that's definitely, you know, a nod to consciousness awareness, I guess you <laughs> could say. Um, but I think that, you know, as a scientist, I don't feel like there's I don't feel like there's magic to dreams. You know, I don't believe that. um you know, that the the kind of divine power of the universe is like, I'm going to send her this dream and it's just, there's going to be a gopher and let's see what she makes of that, you know? Uh, but I do believe in, you know, the importance and we know dreams are important, you know, medically speaking, you need to have that, um, that REM sleep and those cycles to be able to feel rested. Um, and so to me, dreams are that kind of processing. It's your unconscious working things out. It's whatever happened in the day, whatever's rolling around your head. Um, you know, the, the portion of the brain that a lot of people say, like, we don't use most of our brain. It's always being used by something. A lot of it is association cortex and kind of integration of information. And much of that has to happen when we're sleeping. Yeah. Where, where, where do you think consciousness comes from? Um, well, where, mean, where, where, I mean, where, I mean, where you being, it? where is it? Yes. This is a hard one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, because the field of you know neuropsychology and, and cognitive neuroscience, 
you know, we, we study these things, right. And, and I had to learn about these things through my undergrad and grad school. Um, you know, the, the best way that we try and figure these things out is with patients, you know, or people who have had strokes or lesions or accidents and, um, and they present with very interesting features and there are absolutely patients that have damage to certain parts of their brain where their conscious experience is altered. Um, you know, it's a little bit like asking where the soul is, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Um, and I think when you start thinking about people who have unconscious experiences or, um, really, really, you know, concrete experiences when they're not properly alive. I think that's a very, um, strong indicator that consciousness is somewhere, Yes, you know, yes. And that kind of self-awareness is somewhere. And, you know, I'm grateful I don't have to solve that problem because I don't know that I could. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I want to dive into the kind of, you know, especially for me with mental health. I mean, it would always be con- a condition of the past, things that have happened to me and the future. And I can now remove myself from myself and study me now as a person. And I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at this time based on the way I feel and my conditioning up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find, I, I guess, w- w- you know, with your anxieties and, and is it driven past and future? Is it? Yeah. I mean, I think most of what ails us as, as humans is, you know, obsessing or regretting the past and being afraid about the future. Um, I mean, I think that's sort of the power of mindfulness and, and like what it is to really be present. And I think a lot of people dismiss that as like, you know, hippy dippy, hocus pocus. Um, and you know, I think we've seen how that works (laughs) for us not to, you know, have a culture that's engaged, um, spiritually and, and with an awareness of mindfulness. So I think that's really what, what that's for. And, you know, being human is really, really hard. It's really painful. There is so much to be sad about. And the way that humans treat other humans and the suffering in the world is enormous. So all we have is our ability to transcend that so that we can get up every day and be grateful, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hard. It's not easy. And those worlds constantly try and collide. You know, the world of reality and the world of the reality that we create. And it's not that, and I don't get this from you, you know, it's not that we push aside reality. It's that we compartmentalize it and prioritize our own health so that we can better make changes to the realities of the world. Um, But that does take a tremendous amount of, as you said, ability to be present. And what you described is the the power of acceptance. Mm -hmm. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's very, very hard for most people. Absolutely. I think think now for me, life is easy because I have, I have an, I mean, mean, if you break down your actual life, I mean, my life per se, um, I understand the power I have and I can sit in my room and manifest anything I want just as easy as I can manifest anything I don't want. And I think about, I used to think about the things I didn't want, you know, I can't afford this. I can't do that. I can't, you know, I can't do this because I have to work to do this. I have to, you know, and there's me dwindling everything I ever want in life. And I'm attracting more situations to make me feel like I can't do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I know that because I can study. It's like when you have a thought of someone who you haven't spoken to in ages and then they, they, they call you. Is that a coincidence? No, it's an unresisted thought that you've had. Now imagine how much resistance you have to every single daily thing. Even like washing the dishes. I wash the dishes. I love it. I, 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 the warm I'm water. Yeah, the bubbles, the, the sound of the water going down the, the drain, the, you know, it's like peace. It's great. Well, and, and also, and, you know, I feel like I know you well enough to say this. It's also like we can speak about it from a very privileged position, you yes. know, and, and you, you mentioned that, like we have water. <laughs> yes. That's not something that everyone has. Um, when I was in college, I went on an alternative spring break trip and we went to, um, to El Salvador and we lived in a village with no electricity and no running water. And it was a very powerful experience, but that is many people's experience. So the notion that also, you know, that we can enjoy chores, right? Certain chores that other people don't like. There are people who have to do those things mm-hmm. just to be able to feed their children and they can't even take care of their children because they're busy taking care of other people's children, right? So the complexity also of that notion of being present and having gratitude is also completely skewed by by privilege, which is super complicated. And I think it's also really, you know, I don't want to say it's not sad because like no one will feel bad for you and me having this conversation. But it's hard because I really appreciate you being able to be present Mm -hmm. when doing tasks, right? Because that's a mindset that, you know, that Buddhist monks have, you know, go to go and study their whole lives to teach us how to do, right? And so we're inheriting kind of this, you know, this heritage of of presentness. Uh, But we should be able to also enjoy that without feeling like we can't because of other people's judgment about Mm -hmm you know, that we're enjoying something that other people maybe have to do to make a living, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, anyone listen, I've done the shittest jobs on earth, like literally. Um, I used to go with my stepdad to, he would work in like, I guess, you know, the inside of cars and the, the, the I guess the dash would be like wood parts and stuff. Yeah. So we'd have to clean out furnaces from that wood. And I loved it because I was like, I'm going to work with my dad. But it was, <laughs> looking back now, that was horrendous. It's like sure. this clearing, clearing out the ash. Um, but I, but I like who I am now. I like where I'm at. I like, you know, and I guess again, with shows like this and conversations like this is we all have the power to change anything in an instant if we believe and know we can do it. But again, you're right. It takes work. It takes work to work on your mental state. It takes work to sit down for yesterday. I didn't want to meditate and you, and I did it. Um, and I felt so much better afterwards. And, and those are how you create good habits. And I think, Creating a good habit, you, you have to have a re- reward for it to become something that is long lasting. So my reward when I run, even though it, it hurts and I, I, I ran two miles today in the heat, was I listened to Abraham Hicks and she's just spewing so much amazing, like confidence boosting things. And that's my reward. That's the only time I listen to her mm-hmm. per se of, or a spirit who speaks through her or however you want to call it. Mm-hmm telling me like you have the power to, to achieve anything you want you can do it this, this and I'm running like I can do this <laughs> and that's my reward and I feel like anyone who feels negative about themselves just every day say one thing positive about themselves and then two things then three things then four things and do it for 60 70 days I promise you you'll feel way better about yourself than you did before it was once suggested to me to ask people closest to you to tell you something nice about yourself if you can't think of something and I thought, what an interesting thing, because if any friend of mine were to text me or call me and say, can you tell me something nice about 
me, I would say, absolutely. And I would think, what's the thing that I love about this person? And I would say it. And just that notion that like, if we could only feel that for ourselves, the way other people feel it for us, you know? Absolutely. And I think as well for me, um, is if there's something negative in your life or a situation, notice something that's positive about it. Mm -hmm. So if something's not going your way, write down things that are going your way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and when I do that, the shit starts shifting. So, for example, Abraham Hicks says, you know, you go to a hotel. Um, she used to go to this hotel every year and they forget they would they, that they're coming. So it would be a rush to set up their whole seminars and everything else. And she was like, well, we're going to check out. And then Abraham spoke to Esther was like, well, you're you're still taking yourself with you to the next hotel. So how about you write down everything that's great about this hotel while well, the hotel's close to transport to, for everyone to get there it's beautiful the rooms are amazing the service is great then she started writing down all those things and then if she, as she, every year she came back the service got better the the, the stay wow. got better and everything else now think about doing that with everything in your life that you perceive as negative and you'll start seeing it as a perception of being positive right i love that um and just one more thing i want to dive in is a section on uniqueness too because i think this could relate to you i mean factually i mean scientifically there is only ever one of you in, in existence. You're completely different from anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not one part of you that's the same as anyone else. So individually, we are the most unique individuals that, are, <laughs> that exist and that are ever going to exist. And that's how I adopt my mind now is like, I'm quite unique, you know, in a confidence type of way, but in a factual type of way. And that's how I break down spirituality is, is practically we are unique. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that's even true for identical twins. Uh, they're not completely identical in all the ways. Um, yeah, I think that some of that uniqueness is also something we can sort of, you know, leverage because that uniqueness is true no matter what, no matter what socioeconomic background you come from, no matter what color you are, no matter where your parents came from. Uh, that's that's something that is is really and an ability also for us to see everyone as, as having so much potential. And, you know, there's a, a tremendous amount about us that is determined by things completely out of our control. Um, what we're born into, where we're born into. Uh, but this notion that we, we all have potential because of our uniqueness. Mm-hmm. I showed my boys that mo- movie. I think it was a Disney movie, the queen of Katwe, which is about a, a girl in Uganda who, um, they find out is a brilliant, brilliant chess player. Like she had never played. And it's just like this beautiful movie. And it's, I highly recommend it because the sense of optimism, you know, is such an eye opener. And especially for my kids who were like, well, what if she had been born in Beverly Hills? I said, well, they probably would have known earlier that she was a brilliant, brilliant mind. And they said, well, what if they had never showed her chess? I said, then no one might have ever mm-hmm. known. Yeah. That, yeah. that she had that mind. Right. And that's not, that's not a needle in a haystack. You know, there are humans all over the world who are in situations where they don't get to have their uniqueness appreciated. You Absolutely. Know? That's, that's a, it's a, it's something that I hope the internet can help. Meaning I, I want the internet to do good things like that, make the world smaller so that people can learn more about their uniqueness and their specialness. 100%. <laughs> the internet does a lot of other things though. But see, again, see, I, I would flip the coin on that and being spiritually speaking, we do have agreements that we're born into because we're, mm-hmm. we're, 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 we're here to learn. Right. So, I mean, I don't know, you watch Surviving Death and you see those kids who, who are, you know, have past life regressions and have these that, dreams. That blew, 
I had no explanation for that one. None. Literally. And when, when that doctor came, I was like, oh, you know, just a random picture. He's like, that is my home. That's I my mom. That I was like, literally every other, every other set of episodes, I was like, you know, my son was like, okay, mama, break down the science. Okay, mama. What <laughs> yeah. When we got to those, I said, Miles, I got nothing here. I can't explain this and neither can anyone. Yes, exactly. And, I, and, and also I get to just be okay with that. Like I don't need to reject it because I don't understand it, which you could say about anything. Yes, yes. Just because I don't understand it, it doesn't mean I have to reject it. I get to leave it there and say like, I have no idea, not going to hate on it, not going to dedicate my life to it, but wow. Yes, exactly <laughs> that. And I study, I mean, again, power, we have, I mean- you being a scientist is, is, is you obviously think differently, um, but you approach stuff pretty practically and spiritually too, which I love. It's, it's a great combination of what you have. Um, but I'm here to teach you. It's you. And imagine if you're taught from birth, like I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm not religious at all, but I, I, I've re- read a ton of texts on Buddhism. I'm reading um, not Christianity per se, but solely the teachings of Jesus. Sure. And from it's birth, he, 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 yeah, exactly. From, you know, what time is it? Oh, Jesus time. Um, and he from birth was told he's the son of God. Sure. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, like, I'm like, should I tell my daughter, like, you're the son of God and like. Well, look, you know, I, I think a lot of kids are raised now with a definite, you know, um, I think especially in wealthy, you know, Western culture, like you see this a lot, you know, every child is a queen and a king. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. It worries me. My kids were born a little bit before that trend. So I feel like they missed out on being, you know, held aloft like the little princes. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I feel like in, in some cases we do get a taste of that. But, but you know, my hope is that, you know, all of the resources, you know, if half, if an eighth, if it's a hundredth of the resources we spend towards, you know, making t-shirts that tell children that they're, you know, daddy's little princess or, you know, mommy's big dude, you know, if some of those resources could go to simply building up, you know, the nutritional health, the mental health of, of children in developing countries, you know, things like that. I, I would love to see a world where we can start to garner more of that. Um, yeah, that's just sort of a personal dream of mine. And there you go. And you said it. It's out there in the ether. And it's okay to be daddy's little princess. It's okay. Like it was... that t-shirt. I'm just saying that like we have such an emphasis in this culture on, you know, building up ego, which is very, very important. It's a formative thing, but it's important, you know, to realize all of the children in particular who don't always have access even to basic necessities before yes, we get to that. Exactly. Mayim, you're amazing. I want to thank you so much for coming on the thank show. This, this has been, been a, blast. a really spiritually fulfilling uh, experience, and yes. I appreciate it. Can I skip meditation today since we did this? Well, I mean, we were focused on the one thing, so this is our meditation. I mean, it's um, no, I love it. I love like me before this. This is evolution for me. I, you know, you being a scientist, I, I don't believe we came from newts, and we we are this sure. being of of billions of cells constantly regenerating. I feel like the evolution is. I'm not the same as I was before this conversation. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. Well, it's really lovely to share your unique self uh, with people the way you do. So thank you. Thank you. I, take care. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Namaste. Take care. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>